Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Lex Factor. I'm your host, Lauren. Lauren. Oh, Brad, thank Lauren. you. That's yes. an aggressive clap. Too. I wanted to make sure everybody knew how excited we are that you're back Thanks, from Brad. the holiday break and just so grateful Jesus, to be a part keep, of the podcast. You. I'm you're... actually standing for those in the audience. That's a oh, you look standing like you were sitting over... to me. I'm, I'm very short. <laughs> It's it's embarrassing, really, but thanks thanks for telling everybody about oh. me. It's just well, well, Brad's here too. Oh well, thank you, thank you. Yes, I am. Usually, usually I say my own name, but that was different. I kind of <laughs> liked it. I'll just talk for you from now on. Okay, I'll I'll just move my mouth. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> no. um, we're actually back again today with Wendy Merrill as well. You guys probably remember her. She is a vice president of growth strategy and branding for DRI. Welcome back, Wendy. Thank you. Great to be with you guys again. Yeah. I loved Wendy last time. It was great. And we actually, we had such a good conversation. I think there's just so much more we can dive into it. So we wanted to have you back and dive a little deeper when it comes to recognizing the state of the law firm model and really talking more about that generational gap that we started to talk about in last time's episode. Um, so something that I wanted to talk a little bit more about today is what actually you guys at DRI do. I know you have a lot of clients and, and I know what you do, how you do it, but explain to the audience a little bit what exactly your mission is and how you help your clients. Sure. So we, we are an association of civil defense attorneys. So we're the largest, we're really like a bar association for the civil defense bar. And we've got, um, about 18,000 members currently, but we are in growth mode. And our members represent clients, um, anything from product liability to um, trucking liability to asbestos, toxic tort, et cetera. So anything and everything that has to do with the civil defense bar. We've been around for 60 years and we are an organization that's dedicated to advocacy for the civil defense bar, but also to our um, to our members success so we share a lot of best practices we do a ton of seminars we used to do a lot of in-person seminars and conferences of course we had to go virtual with COVID but we are hopeful that we're going to be getting back towards in-person meetings hopefully sooner rather than later we've got a lot of really exciting things planned for 2021 Uh, we're also looking to grow membership and We are just, it's a privilege to be part of such an amazing organization. Our members are incredibly passionate and super supportive of both each other and also the bar. Mm -hmm. Wendy, in the previous episode, we also talked a little bit about the book that you had written. And uh, I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit about the book before we start in today, kind of the name, the title, where you can get it. Sure. It's Path to Impact, The Rising Leader's Guide to Growing Smart. And I wrote it. Uh, a couple of years ago now, and actually it's this month, it's two years old, and you can find it on Amazon. Um, it is both in um, so, uh, soft cover, but also in Kindle. I would recommend getting the book itself, though, because you can actually write in it and highlight it and mm-hmm. underline and dog ear, etc. because it's designed to be a guide. It's full of exercises. It's easy to read. It's There's a lot of anecdotes in there, real life experiences. Um, and it's really designed to be a guidebook for 
rising leaders in the legal industry and other professions as well, but there's a lot, there's a lot focused on, on law practicing um, to help people to be more growth oriented. And those who really want to have an impactful career, it shares steps, tips and tricks and best practices for how to do so. You know, I always like it when the books actually include lessons that you can kind of go through yeah. or, or things that you can try. And it just, it brings it more home. So I'm glad that you did that. I'm glad that you put that together. Yeah. Thank you. It was a, it, I love to write and I had been writing tons and tons on social media and uh, a lot of blog posts, et cetera. And finally I, I was able to sit down and compile a lot of my experiences into a book and it was so much fun. Yeah. And I, I actually smiled when you said the highlight. I'm so much more of a, a real book, a real magazine person. I cannot, I've done the Kindle. I just can't do it though. I like it to feel the pages. Feel the same. And I feel like I, I remember things so much better if I highlight them, if I take notes. It's just like, if you go to my desk, there's post-its everywhere. That's just how I work, <laughs> you know? And I make yeah. notes, to-do lists. I cross it out, throw it away. It just feels like I'm actually accomplishing something that way. It's not the same unless you can actually touch exactly. it. Exactly. Well, we're talking about the younger generation and how they transition today. Well, and actually, it's weird because, look, (laughs) I'm the younger transition, right? And I prefer non-digital reading materials. No, I do, too. I'm a little older than you think, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, yeah, let's dive in a little bit. So if you guys remember last time, we talked a lot about the different generation, the gaps, um, and how a lot of times the younger generations more may have different goals than your more seasoned generation. But at the end of the day, that can really affect success within the firm. So, Wendy, how do you even start to bridge that gap between the different generations, knowing that their different mindsets, different goals are potentially negatively affecting the health of the firm? You need to be aware of what not only what your own motivations are, but what others are motivated by. Mm-hmm. Uh, And there's a lot of different generational styles. I've been studying this for quite some time, and I am going to make some generalizations here. Um, (laughs) We're ready. (laughs) As long as you have that disclaimer, yeah, we're fine. But I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to trash millennials because I actually don't believe in any of (laughs) this. But what I will say is what I have found, and I'm a Gen Xer, full disclosure, I'll use a thirst analogy to explain how each generation has to be managed differently. Okay. So I don't know if you guys have ever been very dehydrated. Mm-hmm. When you become really dehydrated, you actually have to go to the hospital, right? Cause you get really sick because you believe it or not lose your sense of thirst, right? Which mm-hmm. doesn't make a lot of sense, but you don't realize you're thirsty. So you get sicker. Right. So baby boomer generation, these are folks that are typically perpetually dehydrated. They are not thirsty. They don't realize that they need to drink. Okay. (laughs) You have Gen X, my generation, who we don't necessarily realize we're thirsty until someone sets a really nice looking giant glass of ice cold water beer. (laughs) And we're like, oh my gosh, I was so thirsty. Thank you so much for giving this to me. Could you please show me where I can get a refill and I'll do it myself. The millennial generation is perpetually thirsty but they cannot necessarily figure out where to get the drink themselves. So when you've got a generation over here that's not thirsty and you've got a generation over here that's really thirsty, the two are not going to understand each other or anticipate each other's needs. So what do we do about this? 
we have to recognize how everybody thinks differently, right? And an example, a real life example of this might be someone who is maybe the managing partner who happens to be maybe an older Gen Xer or or a baby boomer who is used to, you know, came from a culture of management of fear, you know, maybe a benevolent dictatorship, which definitely happens in some companies and firms. <laughs> And they're used to sort of, you know, being yelled at or, you know, nobody ever took the time to recognize what they wanted out of their career. Well, they need to stop for a minute and say, hang on a second, just because that's how I was raised in, in the business, that's not necessarily what my younger counterparts are experiencing or need. And on the flip side, you need younger attorneys have got to be much better advocates for themselves. I find that younger attorneys are woefully... Um, I'd say unskilled in terms of being able to advocate for what they need and identifying, you know, understanding their value as well as maybe where they need to grow and then at putting their hand up and asking for help. So if you've got these two extremes that aren't necessarily taking the time to understand each other or empathizing, that's where the communication breakdown is. And that is at the heart of a lot of challenges that our firms are facing. Yeah. So it seems like, and that makes me think about that that middle management role or that Gen X role, kind of the, the in-between, whether you're looking at it from an age generation standpoint or maybe in hierarchy standpoint within the firm, it makes me realize that there's probably a lot of importance on that that middle role there just because they're kind of the connection up and down. You know, they can help that that higher or maybe the older generation realize some things, but they can also help that that lower, that younger generation or that lower on the totem pole realize, hey, we know you're thirsty. Let me help you get there a little bit. Right. I mean, that's that's how I've seen my own personal role in, in a lot of the, the work that I've done just because I've worked, you know, I was raised by a baby boomer. So I was raised with this particular work ethic and, you know, school of hard knocks and expecting very little. Right. But I work I spend so much of my time with millennials, with younger people. Um, and I, I I actually tend to, to relate, I think, better sometimes to those that are younger than me and less experience than me just because, I don't know, I guess I have a hopefully high energy level. I, yeah. I still think I'm <laughs> maintaining a relatively decent level of coolness, I think. Don't ask my <laughs> that. But, uh, and, and, I, and I do understand technology and I utilize technology. Um, so I do feel like we do play an important role. And many of us are starting to step into managing partner roles as well. Um, but what's interesting is that we're the unsung heroes. Um, yeah. You don't really read a lot of press about us. You read it about the uh, the bookends, mm-hmm. right? But not us. Um, but we are here and we do play an important role. <laughs> Very important role, yeah. Bridging the gap. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because before you got on today, Brad and I were both put in this situation today where we were faced with terminology, slang that neither of us knew. And we were like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Have to Google it. Yeah, Brad had to Google it, and I had to uh, talk to somebody about it. But I was like, oh, my God, I'm rarely in a situation. You know, I'm a millennial. I'm rarely in a situation where I actually don't know what slang is. And, yep, I was taught my lesson today. Mm-hmm. So was Brad. So I, I do like what you were saying, kind of how you went into each generation and kind of what they're looking for. Um, early on in, in my career, uh, a colleague and I actually put together a performance review program. And ba- it was based upon perception and based upon real-time feedback. And going into it, we were thinking, oh, the millennial generation is not going to like real-time feedback. 
Mm-hmm. And we were completely wrong. Like what you were saying, they were very thirsty to get knowledge and get how can I how can I do this better? How can I do that? It was the baby boomers and the other generations that were having a little bit more difficult time with it because I know how to do this. Please don't don't tell me how to do this. Yeah. You know? But it was important to drive perception and build that brand. So I really like kind of how you classified it. I'll tell you, it's it's not surprising at all to me that, that real-time feedback works because if you think about it, the millennial generation, for the most part, was born with a smartphone in their hand. Mm-hmm. They're used to constant communication, constant feedback, constant connection, right? And then you look at the boomer generation, which, of course, you know, completely different, right? And when I had to do research for my college papers, I went to the library and I got all dusty old books out. So <laughs> the younger generation does want that feedback. In fact, they want a lot more feedback than people understand. I mean, they are constantly, I, in my experience, questioning, am I doing okay? I mean, and it's not the trophy for everyone concept that people like to talk about. It's really more about feedback as to, are you on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? Acknowledgement, recognition, very, very important so that people can, so that they can, they know they're on the right track and they can build their self-confidence. Yeah. And well, from a recipient standpoint too, we all dread that annual review process where you're like, okay, I have to wait all year. Then everything I do good, everything I do poorly is going to be thrown at me all at once. And people get so sick leading up to that. And the thing is, you know, look at it from an employer standpoint. If you're the one giving this feedback, if you were to give this feedback, whether it's good or bad, real time throughout the year, that person receiving the feedback, they can make changes immediately. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it's going to be better for your firm or your business because they're able to make those changes as opposed to waiting a year to really get better at areas that they need to improve on. So not only is it good for the recipient because it's just it's easier, they can learn and grow a lot more quickly, but it's good for the firm too because you don't have to see you know wait a year or six months to really start seeing those changes that can make a really big impact on your firm. Right. I also think it builds trust. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I'd love to add on on something there. Um, I think you know, you're talking about reviews. So you're talking about communication between a manager or a supervisor, right, and, and their team. The I, I find that um, not enough people in management positions are taking the time to understand their team members' respective def- definitions of success. Right. So my definition of success might be different from you guys. If I am managing you and I don't take the time to understand, you know, what is it that you find that, that how do you define success? Where do you want to go? What do you want? What kind of lifestyle do you want to have that I can't help you get there? And at the end of the day, my job as your manager is to help you get there. Right. So I think I think that that's a really big part of it. And that's, again, where there's a struggle of the this more seasoned manager is maybe not asking for that. And the younger professional is not advocating for that. So there's this disconnect. So the improvement of communication is is so critical uh, to the success of firms. Ironically, lawyers communicate for a living. (laughs) However, I found that when you're talking about within a firm, how things should be working, the communication often breaks down. Yeah, but I think we all know that lack of communication, not only with the clients, but internally, it's just going to cause those further and further breakdowns, which is at the end of the day, it's going to affect your business, your business model, and your relationships with clients too. Um, So something that you mentioned, Wendy, that... uh, 
different roles, different generations tend to have different ideas of what success is, even just different people in general. So how do you, as a leader, how would you really suggest leading those different people to success, knowing that success is different to all of them? How do you really create that competent group of leaders within your organization? So I like, you mentioned something about branding earlier Uh, and branding is something certainly near and dear to my heart. It's a big part of what I do at DRI. And I like to, to, to use the, you know, the drink, the Kool-Aid line (laughs) has a, is a reference to a mass murder, which today we're not going to use the the really uh, awful, uh, awful uh, definition for that. We're going to think about the more modern definition. I like to think of it as someone who's really on board, right? Who's, mm-hmm. who's, who's excited. excited. So anyway, um, you have to know the flavor of the, of the Kool-Aid for your firm, right? That's the brand. So let's say, you know, in the case of DRI, um, our colors are blue and orange. So I'm going to say orange Kool-Aid. Well, what is the orange Kool-Aid? The orange Kool-Aid is it tastes this way. It's got these ingredients in it. It's sweet. Um, so when you hire someone, you bring someone on, you have to say, this is our Kool-Aid. Do you like orange Kool-Aid? Yes, I do. Okay, great. You're a good fit. And then when you hire, when you, when you actually onboard them, you give them another taste, right? You say, here's the orange Kool-Aid. This is what we stand for. Yes, I'm totally in. Well, as your manager, right? If I'm sitting down with you and saying, here's the orange Kool-Aid, it's great. I have to say, listen, I, as long as you drink orange Kool-Aid, use the orange mix, you can, we can make it however you want. You can have it in, in an ice pop. You can have it warm. You can have <laughs> watered down, extra, you know, diluted, whatever. But as long as it's orange, we're good. And so that's the definition of success, right? And then I check back in with you six months down the road, a year down the road. And I say, hey, you still liking the orange Kool-Aid? And you say, yeah, I love it. But you know what? I was drinking it really cold. Now I got a sensitive tooth. I just need to drink it lukewarm now. Okay. I go back, I mix it for you. It's lukewarm. And I, and I customize it for you Mm -hmm. if you follow. So that is really important to the growth in any firm, but in law firms, because everybody's running around. So, you know, so, so busy all the time, every, there's such pressure on them that that often gets missed, I think. Um, and so I think that, you know, there has to be a very clear picture of, of, of what that Kool-Aid flavor is and the willingness to, to adjust the recipe to meet that person's needs. Now, there might be a point where the person says, I don't like orange anymore. I like cherry. Well, that and that at that point you say, Great, I, I think you need to go to the firm down the road because we only serve orange, uh, orange Kool-Aid here. I love that. That's awesome. And when I, you know, when I brought up branding earlier, I was thinking external because, you know, Brad called Adam a marketing person and branding is so important from an external standpoint because that's how you get that that recognition and you get your message across to potential clients. But internal is such an important aspect too because it's really, it's who you are as a company, as a firm. It's what you believe in. It's how you dre- treat your people. It's how you engage with your people. And so, yeah, I think that's a great point and I'm glad you brought it up. You know, brand is internal too and it is about your culture and how you treat people and that's a big part of just being successful across the board yeah absolutely so you you know when you look at the law firms even if you're in a firm with several partners you know maybe it's a six attorney seven att- whatever it may be each individual attorney is kind of that entrepreneur somebody that has to go out and sell how do you keep that mindset how do you drive that understanding to them that this is kind of their brand they can, you know, have the orange Kool-Aid, but make it their kind of their own way that's successful and drive that inside of their business. 
Well, I, I would say that you've, if you're not, uh, if you're not already in an entrepreneurial mindset, which most lawyers are not, uh, you don't certainly don't learn that in law school. As a matter of fact, lawyer, most lawyers are risk adverse just by the very nature and entrepreneurs tend to be, you know, more embracing of risk. Mm-hmm. So if you want that kind of culture, you definitely have to teach your, your staff, your team to take ownership of and, and see their practice as their business. Right. And it starts with number one, understanding how do we make money as a firm? I can't tell you how many lawyers I've talked to who do not understand or cannot articulate what a profitable piece of business looks like. That is a big problem, right? So they've got to understand what does that look like? How do we make money? What's a good matter? What's not a good matter? What's a good client, et cetera. And then once they understand that and they understand what it means to them, then they have to invest in themselves or the firm has to invest in them and teaching them business development skills and, and, and what their value is and all the things that I like to talk about because, um, you know, most lawyers also do not necessarily love networking. They don't teach you how to sell in law school. Another thing they don't teach you, right? So you've got to figure it out. And oftentimes law firms will say, here's your marketing budget, go out and bring in clients. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not that easy. In fact, it's really intimidating to most people. So you've got to be willing as a firm to invest in your people, make sure they understand, you know, how the sausage is made and that they like the sausage and then have the skills to go out and sell the sausage. Mm -hmm. We got sausage and Kool-Aid going now. Sounds like my kind of weekend. (laughs) Very healthy. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Take stevia and my Kool-Aid, you know. Um, I like that. You know, I was thinking back to my past life, and I worked at a company once where they gave everybody a day off to do some sort of um, professional development. And I like that because you could choose something that you wanted to do. I love that the culture actually allowed that, and the company was concerned with your professional development. Um, and at that same company, I was actually on the flip side forced to take a class. Everybody in my role had to take this one course. And it was awful. It was so hard. Um, It's just it was one of those things that just like made your brain turn into mush. And it was at the end of the day, it was a six month course. And at the end of it, I could never be more grateful that I took it. You know, I learned so much and it's probably something that I would have never learned anywhere else. I never would have chosen to take that class because it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was hard. And so I I just think on both ends, it's really cool when you work for a company or a firm that gives you that opportunity to better yourself and choose what you want to learn to do and even gives you a day off work or however much to, to do that. But on the flip side, if you know that attorneys need certain skill sets and everybody could probably be a better at it, maybe consider some sort of required professional development for your team as well. And maybe they don't want to do it. Maybe they're going to hate it. But at the end of the day, like it could do a lot for them and for your firm. Preaching to the choir. I, you know, one of the messages that I'm certainly taking away from this and Wendy definitely, you know, comment on this is I relate what you're saying to technology, you know, being CIO, jumping in. I know, I know, technology. Like I said, the branding and marketing. Yeah, branding and marketing, technology. (laughs) But it's just, it's the same thing. When you're implementing technology, it's not going to be successful unless you have the right 
approach to it, the right branding of it, the right. And it's something that they don't teach you in any of the courses about technology or anything like that. Very similar from an attorney perspective. You have to make sure that you build the right mindset. You have the right leadership skills. You have the right understanding of your goals and what you want to accomplish and build that into, you know, where you're going in results of this technology product. So I think it's, it's just so evident to me that, you know, those aspects of life are needed to be able to reach out to somebody like yourself, Wendy, to say, help, can you help me grow as an individual? I want to be more successful as an attorney, as a technology leader, whatever it may be. Well, I I like to say, ABC, always be curious, always Mm -hmm. be learning, right? And never be afraid to ask for help. Um, I think many people are afraid of being judged, thinking that they don't know something or they're stupid or what have you, um, if they have to ask for help. Self-advocacy is huge. Uh, and, the, and the rising leaders, those that are going to be running the firms tomorrow, have to be much, much better at advocating for what they need in order to, to be able to, to effectively take over and, and run these and, and create a, a sustainable legacy, I would say. So yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. So how do you guide your clients on professional development? Is there one straight answer that kind of works for everybody? Do you focus more on the individual at the firm? Do you focus more on firm culture and learning from a, a broader standpoint? What's what's your kind of go-to when you talk to a firm or an attorney that needs some help in the professional development area? So I I used to, in the beginning of, of my co- consulting business, I, I was consulting with firms. And then I changed and I started working exclusively with individuals mm-hmm. other than doing some work for, you know, with a DRI, as I had mentioned earlier, et cetera. But uh, the reason for that is because, you know, the, 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 the firm can do all the right things, but if their people are not invested in themselves, mm-hmm. right? And they don't have a solid foundation of self-confidence, a sense of value, um, ability to advocate for themselves, and the and, and knowing how to network, which is, I think, one of the most important, if not the most important life skill, um, then it doesn't matter all the greatest intentions and biggest investments in the world of the firm if the individuals are not feeling it, <laughs> it's not going to work. Right. And I just personally, I find that to be, it's just my own thing. I find it to be really fulfilling to work with individuals in that way or small groups. Um, and I think that, um, the advice I would give maybe a a law firm is to, to really take a moment at at the, the leaders of a firm to take a moment and to try their best to understand and recognize the, individuality of their staff members and their own motivations and make sure that their individual definitions of success are aligned with the firm definition of success. Uh, Cause we can't assume anything. We need to be pretty explicit uh, about these conversations to make sure that we're all rowing in the right direction. Yeah. I like that. I like that too. Yeah. Um, so Wendy, as you remember from last episode, we kind of like to end with three takeaways. So if you could say, this is the one thing I want you to take away from this episode when you, when you stop listening today, what would that one thing be really? I'd say the importance of self-advocacy for really anybody to be able to identify who they are and what they need. Um, but especially for the younger generation, because it is much harder for them, I think, to, to sort of 
hate to put it this way, but to claw their way to the top, right? So they need to be able to recognize what they bring to the table and where they may need help to be even better. That's when it, you know, when it, mentorship comes into play or, um, you know, taking courses, professional development, et cetera. But first we have to be able to recognize what we need and, and ask for help and tell people. Brad, I get to go second. You do again. again. You did so good at going second last okay. time. Well, so. I'm only going to pick one this time. Okay. I'm going to stick to the rules. <laughs> um, I'm going to pull out a nugget that you said that uh, it was just really in passing, Wendy, but uh, it really hit home with me. And what that was is it's not really everybody gets a award or medal mentality. It's everybody wants to understand where they're at and how they can improve. And that's a, a distinction that I think is missed a lot of times. And maybe people don't understand that. And that's why everybody does get a medal mm-hmm. or something like that. But if instead we took the time to really build that relationship, let everybody know where they're really at, where, you know, have that feedback back and forth, it's a much more open, honest relationship. That's really what we're looking for. And I thought that was very powerful that you said that in passing. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm going to go with the um, adjust the Kool-Aid. So I just I loved your analogy. And but at the end of the day, it's like the Kool-Aid can't be the same for everybody. My husband likes his with a little bit more sugar in it. We're talking real Kool-Aid here, you know, and some people like it a little less um, with less sugar, a little more diluted like you talked about. And it doesn't mean that that Kool-Aid or that culture or that firm doesn't work for you. It just means that everybody's a little bit different and you as a manager have to respect that. You have to foster that. And then if you're able to do that, everybody on your team, everybody within your firm, they're going to be successful. You know, they want to be there they enjoy working there. They're just a little bit different than the person next to them. You know, I'm a little bit different than Brad. We probably like our Kool-Aid a little bit differently, um, but we can both move our our company forward. And still have the orange Kool-Aid. And still, ha- it would be orange too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I love <laughs> Purple it. too. Purple would be good. Purple you know? Kool-Aid. Yeah. All right, Wendy, again, we just absolutely loved having you on. I really appreciate you being here again. You were so fun to talk to. Absolutely. Thank you so much. What a great way to spend a Friday afternoon. And um, this was a really fun conversation. And I love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, We loved having you on. Um, I think we're all going to go have our Kool-Aid and sausage party this weekend. (laughs) So (laughs) Wendy, we'll let you get that started. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of The Lex Factor. And we'll talk to you next time talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.